Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. Our prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Well, welcome back. It's been a while. I took a a three-week hiatus, took a little break from doing the podcast. And we begin our next season. Season 3, this will be the first installment. And I thank you, all those of you who have been faithfully listening. And hopefully you've been blessed and I've created some conversations. Not suggesting you have to agree with everything I say. But I want us to start thinking about, critically about what we say and what we do in the church. If I can get you to do just that much. And to think long and hard before we say or start initiating certain things in the church, it may or may not be biblical that we take a good look at our practices and our behavior to make sure that we do everything we can to get it right. That scripture was uh, today was read out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 to verse 25. And I want to talk to you something today about choices, making choices in our lives. Um, you know, I was looking at the divorce rate uh, in our country today, which is, in particularly the church, and, I, and I've discovered, according to George Barna, that the divorce rate in the church is just as high as the world. So we're not really doing much better than they are as ter- in terms of, um, of ha- having strong relationships. Um. But here's the question I ask myself. The way many of us, even though not married, go from one relationship to another is a clear indication to me that we are not very good at making relationship choices. That's why the divorce rate is so high. We're not very good at making relationship choices, and we're not, whether even if it's just in a dating situation, people going from one relationship to the other. Uh,. You know, we make fun of the old ways of how they used to set up marriages and make arrangements. But um, in that era, a lot of the marriages stuck. Now, granted, there was a lot of social shaming and downlooking on you if you got divorced. So a lot of women, and in some cases men, stood in very stayed in very abusive relationships simply because a public appearance. I am so not suggesting that you do something that's stupid. If you're in a relationship where you're being physically abused, verbally abused, your children are being sexually abused, and you're being sexually abused, and even raped, yes, even in the context of marriage, we're making be raped. 
you need to get out of those situations. Please do not stay there. Get out of it. There's no shame in it. God's not going to come and get you because you've, you you protected yourself and your children. Uh, it is not the will of God for you to stay in an abusive relationship and be abused verbally or otherwise. Um, there should be mutual respect and love. That's not there. Don't settle for that. Get out. It's okay. All right? So it's not a heaven or hell issue. But I'm just making an observation. I think part of it is that we're not very good at making relationship choices. And, you know, as human beings, we're very complex. Uh, you know, in terms of some remain the same way as others and others change. Some people grow and change. Other people remain the same. There are people I knew who I may have grown up with in high school. And if I return home, they're still doing exactly the same thing they were doing when I left them in high school. On the street corner, hanging out. Uh, doing a whole in bars and pool places, just doing a lot of nothing, which is where I left them, and they're still there. And that will eventually become their tombs. There are others who grew up the class clown, and now he's a doctor, he's a lawyer, and he's not a clown anymore. He's serious. Almost seems to have lost his sense of humor. Doesn't like to talk about the past. Well, that was a long time ago. I'm a different person now. So we all grow and we change or others just get what I call arrested development and just stay in the same place. And this is what complicates relationships. My wife and I, we were married in 19, in October of 1991, 1990. And here it is, 2023. The, the, the man that my wife married in October of... 1990 is not the same man that's talking to you on this mic in 2023. I have grown. I have evolved. I have changed, hopefully for the better. And the woman that I married back then, almost 30 plus years ago, is not the same woman I'm living with now. Because she's changed. She's grown. She's matured in other ways. The key, I think, in marriage is that we grow together and morph together and change together. Because if you don't do that, because you're going to grow. Either way, you're going to grow. So that's, that, that's a fact. We can either grow apart or we can grow together. Or one grows and the other one remains stagnant and just never matures beyond where they were at before. And that's not good. You don't want to be, it, it, the worst of all possibilities is to remain stagnant and in the same condition as you were before you were. Uh, we're married. If, if, if I'm still the same guy in 19, in 2023 that I was, say, back in uh, the year of 1990, then something's wrong. I've got some arrested development somewhere. Now, some things change. And by change, I mean change in a good sense. I mean, I still like my sci-fi movies. I still like my uh, good westerns and my good old um, karate flicks. I still like those things. Uh, but I've changed in, in other ways, in the ways that count, in the ways that matter. And that's what I'm referring to. And my wife, she has changed in, in, in the ways that, that matter. And, and there's a maturation that we both have that heretofore we didn't have when we got married. And, a, and even a maturation in terms of understanding our relationships. 
Very important just to see this. Now, where am I going with this? What does this got to do with what was read in Hebrews? Well, in Hebrews, it talked about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Just like we make bad decisions and bad choices and not understanding the dynamics of human relationship in marriage, I think the same thing applies in how we choose what type of church we go to or that we attend. So what I want you to do is sit back and ask yourself, how did I end up in the church that I'm in now? Now, generally speaking, the, 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 the correct answer is, or should have been, God directed me there. How did I end up in said this particular type of church? Most of us ended up in the church that we're in um, for one of two reasons. Either we grew up, we were born, and we grew up in that church, and that's all we've ever known. Or we got saved through that particular type of church, and that's obviously... If I'm in a street meeting and a Pentecostal service is going on and I get saved, well, you know, I'm just a babe in Christ. You know, I don't know about all the different churches in church history and Lutheran and Anglican and and what's the difference. I just know I'm saved and these people led me to the Lord, so it must be okay. So I just joined, so I joined that particular church. But as we grow and as we mature in God, you begin to see some things. You begin to see some errors. You begin to see, well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Why are they teaching this? Or this church over here has a stronger, is, is, is more doctrinally fit or sound than this one here. Or you get deceived. You get so caught up with somebody else from another church comes over and tells you why your church is wrong about a particular thing. And if you really want to get it right, come and join our church. So there's a lot of different dynamics that are going on there. Just like in human relationships, you have a husband and wife that's married and the honeymoon is great. It's just the two of you and everything is lovey-dovey. And then you start having children and every child that's introduced into the group has their own personality, their own way of doing things. And it's called group dynamics. The group dynamics and the relationship between the husband and wife keep changing as we keep adding children to the, into the mix. The more kids, the more dynamics change. In, in, in pecking order, who's in charge, and, you know, we say, oh, well, the husband and wife are always in charge. Not necessarily. When that baby comes along and he starts to cry, he or she starts crying, all of a sudden now we drop everything that we're doing because now the baby's in charge. You will feed me. You will change me. You will coddle me. You will kiss me. You will love me. Right? So who's in charge? So what I want to do today is I'm going to start, and this is going to be a part of a series, and yes, I'm going to still do Hebrews as well. We're going to be going through the book of Hebrews. I'm not going to stop doing that. But what I want to look at today and start on another section, I want to talk about how do we, what, what's the criteria for joining a church? What, what, what do we look for? You know, you, people like to go out bar hopping, you know, when you're young people, they some young ladies like to go bar hopping, looking for a guy, looking for a gal. And then the tendency is to try to find, you know, somebody to hook up with or maybe you'll find that love of your life. You know, being a Christian, you know, and as a young man, I didn't do the bars. because, Well, first of all, I was saved. So I, I, I found I had no interest in, in bar hopping in terms of looking for a female or whatever. I didn't go to clubs. I think I went once just to hang out with my brother and sister a little bit. They had been away in, in the military and in school, and they were home for a while. And I tried that, and 
Now that went south. I just couldn't take it. The strobe lights and the and you're trying to have a conversation. You have to scream almost to talk to anyone. And the whole drunkenness thing has always turned me off as an individual. Not looking down on those individuals. I'm just saying just wasn't my cup of tea. So I think I must have stayed all like maybe a few minutes and I left. I went, ah, I'll see you guys when we get home. Uh, so people used to look at me and say, how are you going to find a spouse? You know, where are you going to find them at? Well, in my case, it was in the church. So glory be to God. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're a Christian and you want to find a spouse, the last place you want to look is in a bar. And hopefully you can find somebody within the context of the church who has, who holds to your same beliefs. You don't want to marry somebody that doesn't hold to your beliefs, but that creates a whole new can of worms. But having said that, um, how do you join a church? I mean, do we apply the same thing in joining a church? Well, like I said, you know, I ended up in a Pentecostal church because uh, after I had gotten saved and I was at the Methodist church, I wasn't, I felt I wasn't getting fed. I wasn't growing or learning anything. And then my brother had been invited to a Pentecostal prayer meeting for Iglesia de Dios, a little Spanish church of God. And they were, you know, there was two, it was twin churches. It was one church built into the, on one side was the Iglesia de Dios. The other side was Church of God in Christ. So I went there, started going into their prayer meetings, and it was, I was like, wow, these, we don't do this in a Methodist church. We don't have, we don't pray, have prayer meetings with this type of energy and intensity. And I heard people allegedly speaking in tongues. And I was like, well, we definitely don't do that in the Methodist church. And it seemed more lively and, and they were tried to be more biblical. I was listening to the pastor and, you know, and I was like, well, they, they seem to, to take the Bible more serious than the Methodists do. So then that was my journey into the Pentecostal church and eventually I ended up in a, apostolic faith and this is not the jesus only apostolic faith there is an apostolic faith their headquarters is based in oregon and they are trinitarian so this is a trinitarian church and then uh so i went there to the remainder of high school probably from like 10th grade 10th yeah 10th grade through uh 12th i went there that was my church that i attended and uh got a lot of bible teaching and stuff out of there as well their weakness was that they were extremely legalistic to the point where you practically couldn't fellowship even with other Pentecostal churches, which is just weird. So, you know, I had to live through that type of thing. I never accepted that part of it. Uh, in fact, I've always been a critical thinker and did my own thinking. So that part I didn't accept. But basically, they were teaching the Bible and they were preaching the gospel. So I was like, eh, you know, I'll live with it. And then from there, I went on to Bible college. And that was a problem, like in, in like uh, in Candyland, because everybody was Christian, everybody was saved, they loved the Lord, and we we're all there to serve God and bring the gospel globally. It was it was uh, Bethany uh, College of Missions. It was Bethany Fellowship then. Then he went to Bethany College of Missions. Now it's Bethany Global University, out in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so I went there, and I was like, I was elated, you know, because. Met all these Christians and they, they were like me and they loved the Lord, you know, and I was, you know, when I went there, I was 17. So I was like, you know, everything was fascinating to me, wide eyed and everything was thrilling. Oh my God, this is exciting. And I got a very strong, solid biblical foundation there, for which I'm very grateful. But then after I left there, 
um, you know, I had done my internship with Teen Challenge, and then I did a year in on the mission field in the Caribbean. And then after I was done there, um, I worked for a number of years with a ministry called Pivot Ministries, which was like a Teen Challenge type ministry. It just wasn't part of Teen Challenge, but they did basically the same thing. And I worked there for a number of years. And the director, I was at the time I was looking for a home church, and the director of that ministry was part of a church called Soul Saving Station. And we went down there the first from Connecticut to New York City to Harlem. We would all go down there the first of every month for the communion service. And the worships there were off the chain. I loved it. I was like, man, these people worship God and they love the Lord. And, uh, you know, the, I love the marching of the choir and all that whole, you know, um, the worship. Um, services were long, but they were good. They were good. And so I decided, it was between that and the Assemblies of God, so I decided, eh, I think I'll join this African-American church because I'm a black man as well, so let me be faithful to my own cultural context as opposed, as opposed to joining the AG. And so that's what I did. And I'm trying to show you how, the, how we think in terms of when we're going to join a church. And so I joined that church, and that has been my church from that from then to this uh, to this particular day. Um, I got ordained and uh, have served in that church and in that organization uh, for over twenty five years now, in various capacities: local missions president, district missions president, and national missions president, all at the same time. Wow! Figure that one out. Uh, son, latest now is I'm Sunday school superintendent for the local church. Um, I've also been men's president, etc. So I've done a been around the block here and done some things in the church. So that's basically how my decisions were made. But it really wasn't a sitting down of making a conscious decision. It's just kind of like wherever the tides flowed, that's just what I went with. With the exception that my true north was that I knew that I was a missionary and uh, my goal in life was about uh, global evangelism, uh, praying for and helping to start churches in parts of the world where Christ is not yet named. That's what I wanted to do. And I, I participated somewhat in that a little bit, but not to the extent that I would have liked to, but for various reasons. But I, but let me go back here a little bit. Uh so my question to you then is how do you join a church? What's your criteria? And like I said, most of us fall into it because that's just where we got saved at the time. But as you mature and grow and get a better understanding, what do you, you know, and you may feel certain things about the church or where you happen to be, um, you may feel a little differently after you've been there for a while. So uh, this is just the beginning. Uh, we're going to do some other series. I'm going to have some interviews with some people on here as well as to how we, um, how and why we join various types of churches. I'm going to find some very interesting thoughts on this. Amen. Amen.
if you were the member of a church, say in the first century, let's say you're one of the seven churches in Asia Minor. Well, of the seven churches, five of them got rebuked. So let's assume you're in one of those churches that got rebuked. And Jesus warned, listen, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your candlestick. Where did you go? Once you heard that, you're like, oh, boy. Let me see. Because remember now, you're one of the parishioners. You don't have any control in terms of which direction the church goes, other than in prayer, obviously. But it's the leadership of the church. That pastor decides to ignore what God just told him, and he continues to do what he's doing. Where did you go? If the nearest church, remember now, there's no cars here, so you can't get in your car. Like now, I literally drive uh, 60 miles one way to church, and so it's 120 miles every Sunday for me uh, to and from church. But I have a car. And get in the car and start it up, room, and we and off we go. In those days, most people didn't even have a horse or let alone a buggy to hitch to the horse to get to church. So you went to the church that you could walk to. There was nowhere to go. So the leader of said local assembly was a little cuckoo and went over the edge or became abusive or something was wrong with him. You had nowhere to go. You were just stuck in that church. And if you notice in the book of Revelations, whenever Christ gets through dealing with the leaders of the churches, he says to the he makes an individual appeal to remain to to the individual to remain faithful. So, in a situation where you can't leave a church, as in the early church, right up until the time of the invention of the automobile, which may or may not have become a good thing for us in the church, because uh, I think that in the modern times the curse of the church is as soon as the pastor says something I don't like or somebody proverbially steps on my feet. Steps on my toes. I'm out of here. Peace. We're out later. I don't agree with something the pastor teaches or something the church is saying. The, the the natural impulse is get in your car and I'll just go to the church up the street. That can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing because we can find ourselves church hopping and becoming spiritual vagabonds and, and for all the wrong reasons. And we're going to look at what are some of the good reasons to leave a church and what are some of the bad reasons to leave a church. Um, uh, assembly. All right. So, if you're in the first century, there's nowhere to go. And if you lived even back in 18-whatever, before the mention of the automobile, the majority of people went to the church that they could walk to. That's where you went. And you, no matter how, what politics or who got hurt and who got abused, whatever went down in there, you were just there. That's all there was to it. There was literally nowhere to go. Like, um, until, unless there were other churches nearby in that particular town, you might shop around a little bit. But for the most part, you went to the family church, whatever that was, and that's that's where you went to. And so if you're a Methodist, and there's only one Methodist church there, and that Methodist pastor goes cuckoo, unless you're ready to convert to Catholicism or or become a Moravian or whatever, uh, you were just stuck. You were just stuck. And so that's how it would have been in the first century. 
But we live here in the modern times, and now, thank God, because of the automobile, because of the internet, and because of uh, things like Zoom, etc., we can now pick, choose, and refuse where we want to go. Um, I can go online at Facebook. In fact, I was on uh, on a business trip down in Florida last week, and I was able to watch my local church's service on Facebook. And there were other couple affiliate soul saving stations, and I watched their church services. I, was, I watched one in Florida. I saw one in Ahoski. I saw in North Carolina. I saw another one in the Midwest, in Buffalo. Yeah, I was all over the map. I was like, isn't this amazing? I can go to church in all these different cities, uh, literally, uh, because of social media. So today we have a plethora of choices. But the question today is, how do we make said choices so we make the right ones, so we can attend the right places? And that's what we will be discussing. Uh, most people leave churches, um, and we're gonna. Uh, this is just how I'm. I'm thinking of it. We will have other people on here as well, as to uh, as to trying to look at why people leave various churches, and. Um, there's no one thing, no one particular reason. There's multiple reasons. Sometimes uses a combination of reasons that people leave churches um, today and how people choose that new church that they want to go to. What I'm hoping to do by this podcast today is to help us evaluate some of those things and be a little bit more deliberate in the churches that we join and make sure that we're joining for the right reasons because we're spirit-led and led of God to join a particular assembly and not for some of the reasons we're going to be going over here today, uh, here in a little bit. And I'm looking at my notes here, and yikes. Okay, so hopefully I get the right one here. But yeah. There's a whole plethora of reasons why people join different churches. And usually it's not just any one thing. It's a combination of reasons as to why we join the churches that we join. Now, thank God. I think it is a blessing. I, I you know, God bless the first century church. You know, we're not in the first century anymore. And now we do have choices, particularly in this country. And like I said, that can be a blessing or it can be a curse, depending on how we apply the word of God as our true north so we can find that church that we need to be a part of as believers. Uh, so, no, we don't have to go back to the first century and say, well, they couldn't go anywhere, so therefore if you're in a church and it, and it really sucks, but I'm going to stay here like forever. No, that's insane. Um, you can you can you can leave and find something that's worthy of your time and your energy uh, that you want to put in uh, an investment in. You know, and the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. All the more as we see that day approaching, we're getting closer to the return of Christ. And so, where do I want to be when Christ returns? What kind of church do I want to be a part of? Not that it has anything to do with my salvation, but I want to be in a place where I can maximize. Um, the gifts that God has given me to advance his kingdom. I don't want to be in a church where I can't do anything 
or maximize the gifts or the gifts that, that I'm using is being used in, a, in, a, in the wrong direction or the wrong way. I don't want to do that at all either. So I need to be able to maximize my gifts. And that's one of the criterias in terms of finding a, a church. So let's just take a quick look here. I jotted some things down. And we're going to take a look at some of the reasons why I think, this is just me personally saying this is why I think people join various types of churches. So, you know, because again, we don't really think a lot of these things through. Yes, you hear pages rushing. <laughs> Uh, we don't think a lot of things through, and we just uh, join churches, you know, like I said, for all kinds of weird, crazy reasons. And we don't stop to think about why we do what we do. So um, we're really going to be looking at, uh, we're going to bring back some young people on here. Uh, I'm 63, and when I say young people, I mean people in their 20s, 30s, um, and just talk a little bit about um, their aspects and what they're thinking about church. Now, I go to a very traditional church, and we still wear the jacket and tie, and we still dress up, dress to the nines for uh, Sunday morning service. You've got some of the younger, cooler, hipper churches where they, they dress uh, in designer clothes, they still dress up, but it's, they're more in designer wear, the sneakers, the shoes, and et cetera, the boots. And they're much more appealing to the younger people um, than, say, uh, a more traditional person like myself in, in jacket and tie. Now, I was that jeans and sneakers guy back in the day. and uh, But because of me being a natural nonconformist, since the pendulum has swung the other way towards the jeans and sneakers, I've like flipped back to the jacket and tie. Either that or I'm just getting old. Uh, but no, it doesn't really matter what you wear. Either I can do either or. That's, that's not a problem for me. So why do people try? I jotted down here at least four things that I observed as to why people join various churches. Um, fads. People follow fads. What's hip? What's chic? What's cool? I call that adherence to pop culture. Because in pop culture, you have to go with what's the latest. So if you want to be in, you want to be hip, you want to be cool, uh, you want to be the, the the guy that's on top of things, then you go with the fads. And that has invaded the church. And some of it is good and some of it is bad. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, that everything is bad. But pop, let's look at pop culture, for example. For hundreds of years, hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years, the church has dealt with uh, with chants, and we've dealt with the hymns, and we had hymn books. When I started going to church, they used to say, "Turn, take your hymn books and turn to page whatever, and you would take a hymn book and turn to page, and if you had a visitor, a sinner, you made sure that you shared the hymn book with him so he could see where you were singing because you wanted him to actively be involved. Now, the advantage with the hymns is I could go to any church. I didn't care if it was Baptist. Pentecostal, Salvation Army, Plymouth Brethren, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Presbyterian, 
basically we sang the same hymns and we did it for hundreds of years. That's, but then along comes, along comes modernity and influences the church. So just like you have the pop song, then in, uh, contemporary Christian music comes along. So you have the Jesus movement in the 60s. And the hippies are like saying, wow, man, we want to come to church. And you want, I think there was the name of that movie called uh, with Greg, the story about Greg Lowry. Um, uh, I think Kelsey Grammer played Greg Lowry in this movie. And I can't remember for the life of me the name of it. But look it up. Kelsey Grammer's Greg Lowry or something. Just Google it. And the name of the movie will come on. And it's... Um, as Jesus something, either Jesus people or Jesus music or whatever. So the hippies get saved and they're barefoot beach. They want to come to church, but they're not dressed properly. And Greg Lowry ends up at letting them come in as come in as they are. And the old stuffy jacket and tie people got up and left. And it was born the new modern pop culture church. That was based on the shifting tides of the culture. And the church has now decided we need to adapt ourselves to what's going on out here and not be so stuck in the mud in terms of dress and who should come to church. And so you, now you have the churches, the I call, I call them the barefoot beach churches, where people come in flip-flops and, and, and shorts, uh, swim trunks almost practically. I'm not opposed to that. I just want people to get saved. That they want to come in swim trunks and barefoot, and that, and they're gonna get as long as they get saved. I'm good. That's the most important thing. But there was, those are some of the changes in modern times. Especially if you go to the West Coast, maybe Australia, New Zealand, some places like that. Uh, you know, they have that type of uh, cultural setting. But along with that came a thing known as contemporary Christian music. You had Andre Croucher as one of the early pioneers of Sherman Andrus. Um, and at one point when the uh, the black gospel music genre took off, that was considered contemporary and different. You had Mahalia Jackson. She had her own uh, TV show, as a matter of fact. And um, so coming up in Bible school, when I was on the mission field, I had I had a... Uh, the mission that I worked with, they let me have uh, control the the uh, the radio broadcast and and myself and another brother turned it into a contemporary christian music broadcast show and it, it worked very well it was quite successful and quite and i believe it made quite an impact in fact to this day i still get people who used to listen to it ask me well what happens it ever coming back that type of thing and this is years later right but that's pop culture so then contemporary christian music came on the scene you had andre crouch and then it went from Andre Crouch. You had like the Imperials and the and others. And then you had the Jesus Music USA. You had uh, Christian Christian metal bands. That's right. Yeah, I said it. Christian metal bands like Petra and uh, part of Jesus People USA out in Chicago. And uh, one of the albums I used to I loved it. It was called Music to Wake the Dead. Um, both it was loud and so if you were sleepy to wake you up and definitely it was spiritual because it would the gospel was in that music and bringing people from death to life and you had groups like striper and so on and so forth coming through the 80s and then of course uh the popularity of amy grant michael w smith to name a few well, that's pop culture so what 
the contemporary Christian music I grew up on in the seventies, my kids were like, what's this? We don't, you know, now you've got Maverick city, you've got Hillsong, you've got, um, you know, those are coming up now to that's the, that's considered the contemporary music that people are, are listening to out has gone the choirs and, and the choirs have now been replaced with the, with the worship band. So I'm not saying these are bad things. I'm just simply saying times have changed. And this is pop culture that has that has come into the church. And so now people join churches based on fads because the church rightly recognized uh, through Robert Schuller and some others and the seeker-friendly churches, they recognize that we need to make some changes in the methods and in, in how we do things to attract some of these people. There are people who probably would never have darkened the door of a church step. Uh, of a church or lighten the church of a doorstep or come to a church if some of these changes had not made. So I'm not down on all of the things, changes that have been made. There are some other things that I'm concerned about, but this is not one of them. And so we look at pop culture, it's called reading the room. And so you read the room, you discern the signs of the times and you see how times and things are shifting, like the men of Issachar who, who could discern the times. Jesus talked about uh, the Pharisees. How, why can't you discern the signs of the times? Because times, they were changing. You know, when John the Baptist came up, if you wanted to worship, you went to the synagogue. All of a sudden, John the Baptist is in the wilderness preaching, and people are leaving the synagogues and going out to the wilderness to hear a wild man preach. What is this? So much so that the, that the religious leaders are like, why is the synagogue empty today? Where does everybody go? Oh, they're out in the woods. There's this preacher out here, a new guy out here in the woods, and he's baptizing people. Kind of, he eats locusts and honey, you know. And they're like, wow, what's this? So then the rabbis had to go see what was going on. And, of course, John rebukes them and, you know, et cetera, for not doing their job. So God had to come outside. Had God used non-conventional means outside the religious context because the religious context had become so bogged down in its, in its own righteousness that it really wasn't meeting the meeting the needs of the people in terms of getting the message that God wanted to get to the people, which was to repent for their sins. Uh, these Pharisees were doing some other things other than uh, what they should have been doing. So fads, that's one reason why people join, that I found like people join churches. It can be a good thing, or it can be a bad thing. And yes, some things do need to change. And it's okay to change some of your methods. As long as it doesn't violate the scripture. And as long as the gospel is preached. Regardless. We can't change everything to make everybody happy. We don't do that. There are, there are what I call non-negotiables. Jesus had his non-negotiables. Any man will come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and come follow me. He that loves mother and father more than me is not worthy of me. That's non-negotiable, saints. We, I don't care what the fad is or what the time is or what your, your dress is. That's going to come across the pulpit. It's, a, it's absolutely, positively a non-negotiable. And people need to know it. Whether you're playing music to wake the dead, some Christian metal, whether it's Barefoot Beach Church, or it's the old traditional jacket and tie, singing the hymns. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longing as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story 
It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Doesn't matter. All right, so let's talk about self-help or seeker-friendly services, self-help. And so now, one of the other reasons why people join churches is because they're looking for that TED Talker. That's the kind of preacher they're looking for now. You want the TED Talker. You want the guy who's going to give you the motivational speech, who's going to inspire you. You can make it. You can do it. You can overcome this. And, of course, it's always with God's help, but it's always about you and how you can conquer and win and get whatever you need and motivating you. So that, that dream that you have of starting a business, you know, God will help you do that. That dream that you have of being a, a running in the Olympics or a marathon, that dream of, of having that dream home or that dream job or starting your own business, you know, God can help you with that. And I'm going to give you a motivational speech and I'm going to charge you up just like a coach would charge up his team at halftime when they're losing. And man, they come out on the field a different team and they just play on a whole nother level because they've been motivated. That's self-help. Is it what's wrong with that, Brother Reimer? Nothing. I like self-help too. Um, I was, I liked, I've listened to William Covey's uh, book on it. I had it on cassette. Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And so you study the habits of people who have been successful at what they've done in life. And you try to learn from the best and people who, um, you know, who can motivate you to do great things with your life. I mean, sure, I, I, I need the motivational speech. I need the TED Talk. I, you, know, um, you know, so there's nothing wrong with that uh, at all. With the exception of it doesn't belong in the pulpit Sunday morning. That's my only argument with that. Preach the gospel. And that's it's not the gospel. And that's the problem. But people want to go to those churches where it's going to give us a TED Talker. has a TED Talker for a pastor. And he's just motivational. He's inspirational. He makes me believe in myself. He makes me feel good about myself. He, he lets me know that I can conquer. I will win. You know... The enemy came up against us. You know, you will win. You will win. You will win. Well, who doesn't want? Who wants to lose? Right? Nobody gets into a game to lose. You know, we when we take the field, you get in the boxing ring or a wrestling match or whatever you're doing, you play to win. Nobody plays. To, I don't know anybody that plays to lose. And and it's thrill. Oh man, we lost. You know, um, that's that's nobody's thrilled by this type of stuff. Okay, so. Um, very important to look at. So that's the self-help guy, which you find mainly in seeker-friendly seeker services. And that's another criteria for people joining various churches. And so they go to a church where the gospel is being preached. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And they're like, Boring. I heard that before. When we're going to move on, is there something else we can talk about other than the atonement? Jesus, let's move on. You know, and so they'll get the they'll get the sermon where I become Joshua, I become David. I'm slaying my giants. I'm overcoming my walls of Jericho. I'm the guy that's 
you know, that's that's winning the victory. And, you know, can these bones live? You know, this this vision that I had to start this business and it died and it didn't work. And now, son of man, can these bones live and, you know, prophesy to the four winds and that these bones can live. And, oh, my God, God's going to restore my business and God's going to uh, going to bless me financially. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get that doctorate degree that I wanted because these bones can live. Yeah. See, that type of preaching, that that's TED Talk preaching. And it's all motivational and it's all based on your on self-help, how to improve yourself. Ten biblical principles for prospering. Ten ways to raise good children. Six ways to have a happy marriage. Ten ways to reignite lovemaking in the bedroom. Eighteen ways to, you know, have perfect children and to get straight A's in school. Ten ways to raise super athletes in your family. That's self-help. That's what I'm talking about. And again, like I said, it's not a crime. I, you know, I, this is red book stuff. You know, you get the red book, and you, it'll give you tips for this and tips for that, and six ways and six foods that you can eat that'll help you um, cleanse your colon. And ten, ten things that'll make your kidneys, it'll heal your chronic kidney disease. Six things that'll give you the sharp eyes. Not only have the eyes of an eagle, you have X-ray vision or something. Yeah, some of this stuff is, and a lot of it, by the way, is bogus. But some of it is helpful, some of it's not so helpful. But we, you know, everybody wants to discover that secret. And so they go out and they buy the book, The Secret. You know, your words have power. And because your words have power, you know, uh, you got to be careful what you say and you speak positive. So you go and buy a lottery ticket. I'm going to win that half a billion dollars. Well, there's half a billion people saying they're going to win half a billion dollars. So if that happens, everybody gets a dollar apiece. Wow. Whoop de doo. Okay. Yeah. See? So, you know, they'll buy the secret. You know, I, I, I tell people I bought a book called On the Secret of Prayer. And when I was finished reading the book on the secret of prayer, it was still a secret. I remember um, buying a book, A Daily Guide to Miracles. You know, when I was first year in Bible college, I saw a book in the bookstore, A Daily Guide to Miracles. Because I wanted to, you know, I could do the theological stuff, but I didn't have that kind of power to work miracles and work wonders, you know. How do these guys get that power? How did, how do these healing evangelists get that power to heal and do all the things they do? And why is it when these guys pray, things happen? I pray and nothing. So Daily Guide to Miracles, I went out and bought it and got it back to my room. I started to read it, and it turned out to be a devotional. I was like, oh, crap. Well, that was a waste of money. Oh, and, and by the way, I did not get a daily, I did not get a miracle a day. It, it didn't happen. I didn't see angels appearing to me. I didn't see, you know, have visions and dreams. Wasn't prophesying about the future. I wasn't laying hands on the sick. People were touching people. They were falling down. None of that was happening. Nothing. So, yeah. But there are a plethora of self-help books out there. They're all on the shelf. And, man, you know, people join churches because because they want they want that positive input. I remember during the 60s, you know, when the, especially when the prosperity gospel was starting to really crank up and you would watch these Christian television programs. And they literally said, I don't preach on negative verses in the Bible. Some verses in the Bible are negative. I'm like, but you're committed to truth. I preach on positive verses in the Bible. Yes, I do. But then I also preach on negative verses in the Bible. Whatever's in the text, that's what I work with. 
Um, so most of the Bible, most of the time, it's just really a mixed bag, but and putting things in its proper context. So there are Bibles that accentuate the positive and downplay the negative, and they just take out everything that they, they don't they don't highlight anything that they don't want to be preached on. And so death to self and and putting sin to death and and you know uh, Romans six being buried with Christ in baptism, etc. That those things don't come out. But God will make you the head, not the tail. Whoa, boy, we preach on that. Deuteronomy 18 is one of the most abused chapters in the Bible because they only preach in verses 1 to one to 12 because it's positive. But from 13 to 68 is all negative. And it seems like they get to verse 12 and they stop right there. I'm like, no, keep going. Here's another scripture. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Well, that's not what it says. It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. But everybody leaves off, and they love not their lives unto the death. I had one preacher tell me, he, you, you cannot preach when the Apostle Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable to his death, even the death of the cross. They said, just preach about the power of the resurrection, but don't talk about being made conformable to his death, even the death of the cross. And if you do preach on those negative verses, oh boy, God's going to test you. God's going to make you eat those words, man. If you preach on, on, uh, you know, uh, on power of His resurrection and 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 fellowship of His death, God says, okay, since you preach on the fellowship of your death, I'm going to get you. Oh boy, I'm going to make you suffer. I'm going to make you go through some. I'm going to teach you, teach you to preach on negative verses. I'm almost, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, handle that now. Now you're on the, your deathbed. You're about to die. Because you preach on something you shouldn't have preached on. Well, that's a lie. God's not going to do that to you. And it's stupid. Preach the word in season and out of season. When it's popular and when it's not popular. We preach the Bible from cover to cover. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All of it. We don't cover up anything. But if you're into self-help, well, it's not going to help me. At least they think it won't help them. You see, it's all tied to those self-needs things again, right? And so those are some of the reasons why people, or the criteria that people use to join a church. And a lot of it is on the surface. It's external, whether it's dress, cool clothes, hipster churches, I call them, uh, with the designer clothes and... and um, and now they have what they call the praise band. Choirs are, are out, and now the the praise band is in. Um, and so these are the criteria that people use to join churches, particularly young people. And so now, if you join, and then the extreme of this, the extreme, is that you have to accept everything in pop culture in, or into the woke community. So now you have to embrace the LGBTQ. So we have uh, bishops now that are LGBTQ bishops. We have uh, leadership now in the church that accepts uh, people in the pulpit that shouldn't be in the pulpit. But that's being politically correct. So when this is the, the other, this is the extreme. I'm, I'm going pushing it out to the extremes now. We have to accept all these things. And so here's a pastor. He's a male and he's married to a man and he's the pastor of the church. 
Here's a bishop. She's a female, and she's married to a female. But she's bishop over an organization. This is what I'm talking about. The extremes of that. Where we capitulate and we make the world happy by giving them what they want. And letting them live as they good and well please. And accepting that now in the church as the norm. Not cool. Not cool. So these are the reasons why I think people join churches. And what are people what people are driven by when they decide to join a particular church? What we're gonna do? I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna give you some criteria for finding a good church that I believe that the Bible teaches how what you should look for in a church, regardless of how you got there. Now that you're there, you need to step back. And yes, may some of us need to reevaluate the churches that we're going to. And try to find something that's biblical, etc. And then others are in biblical churches, and you just need to stay there. I don't know where you're at. I don't know anything about the people who are listening to this podcast, other than you're listening to it. So, uh, you know, you have some choices and decisions to make. But I will be doing some interviews with some young people, and we will be talking along these lines as well. And uh, then I will wrap up the series by giving you a biblical criteria for looking for a church and for joining a church as opposed to the ones I just went over because technically none of those are good enough reasons to join a church or to stay in a church or to leave a church. So God bless you and thank you for listening. Well, that does it for today's episode of The Sword and the Spirit. Again, this is not exhaustive. There's a lot more that can be said. I'm not exhausting everything, but uh, there's more that can be said. And there's more to come on this particular topic. So I'm not done yet. So thank you for listening. God bless you. It's always a blessing when people listen to the podcast. And my prayer is that everything I say can be helpful to you and help you in your critical thinking and reevaluating your Christian life and uh, draw you closer to God. If I can do those things, then I'm, I'm just thrilled. And the podcast is actually worth it. Again, vet me. Check everything out. See if be a good Berean. See if these things be so. If it ain't so, then just, ah, well, he's just, you know, talking about a lot of nothing. But if I am right, then you have some choices and decisions to make coming up here soon. So God bless you and thank you. Uh, Please like, subscribe, and share. Like, subscribe, and share and spread it around to as many people, friends, and families as you possibly can because I want to be a blessing to as many people as possibly can. And you can find this on Google Podcasts. You can find it on iHeartRadio. You can find this podcast as well on Spotify and other platforms on uh, Apple Music, etc., So on on multiple platforms, whatever one works, you know, uh, God bless you. And I'd like to encourage you to continue to listen to some of the interviews that I've done, one particularly with Don Hill, uh, The Love Subscribe. I also had another one on From Kickapoo to Katmandu with Dave and Pam Lovett, two extraordinary missionaries. And I did one on Love Back to Life with Lael Divine, who I will hopefully 
uh, get back on the podcast. Both of those individuals, I want to get back on the podcast. Her and Dawn Hill. God willing, though. God willing. I don't know what their schedules are like. <laughs> or if they even want to come back. But God bless you. And thank you for listening to The Sword and the Spirit. And keep me in prayer. Like, subscribe, and share. God bless you. Until next time.